All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are headed to Revelation chapter 6. I've titled our lesson tonight, I've titled our lesson, The Wrath of the Lamb. The Wrath of the Lamb. Now, I realize that that is some uh, vivid language, but what you're going to see in Revelation chapter 6 is very vivid imagery. Powerful descriptions that we see um, in this wonderful chapter. Rather fearful, um, apocalyptic imagery that John records. There's quite a change that's going on. So when you're at Revelation chapter 6, follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 17. Lord willing, we're going to be able to study each of these verses in this chapter. And I want to have a little bit of interaction tonight. I know that you see that we've kind of... uh, oriented ourselves a little differently tonight for tonight's Bible study. I want us to examine the four horses or the four horsemen of the apocalypse tonight. So I'll be communicating with you through this lesson um, as we look at each one of these things. So follow along with me as I read Revelation chapter 6. John is writing here. He says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard... As it were the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold, a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and they that would kill one another, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice In the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with anger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the rest, excuse me, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true. Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, 
And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? What a powerful passage. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1, marks the beginning of a massive section in the book of Revelation. In fact, uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, through chapter 19, verse 21, mark the time of the tribulation period. Now, I believe that the whole context of the entirety of Scripture teaches that the rapture of the church has already occurred. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus tells the church that he will keep them from these things. Um, Also, when we saw that transition at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, John was essentially picturing the rapture. He was caught up, and that was not the rapture that took place in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, but it still depicts something that has changed. And the reason I say that is because church, the word church, is not used until the end of the book of Revelation. And we also have studied 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that clearly Paul is teaching about the catching away of the church, the church being caught up. There's an interesting note here um, that the tribulation period, while resembling much of the church age, what we're going to see are, are points that can be essentially seen in the time in which we live, Um, these events are yet future, okay? Now, we do see things that we're going to see tonight that are very closely depicted in the time in which we live and in recent history, but they are just a minuscule blip on the radar screen compared to what is coming, as we've seen here in Revelation chapter 6. And Paul and John, both Paul and John, depict these events as yet future. We're not just pulling this out of the air, Um, But this chapter demands an answer from the preterist or the partial preterist, as you will see. Um, This is not an allegory. This imagery is representative um, in what John is actually seeing. These images represent things and events. For instance, the Pilgrim's Progress. Has anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? A couple people. That's an allegory. That's the prime example of an allegory. Um, When Bunyan was writing Pilgrim's Progress, he was, Christian was the picture of a Christian moving through the Christian life with all the opposition on every side. And that's the quintessential picture of an allegory. But what we see here is what John is seeing. These things are representative of, of specific things in the tribulation period. 
clearly from what we've just read, I think anybody that would take an honest approach to this chapter, they would say that clearly this tribulation described here is unlike anything that the world has ever seen or encountered up until this point. I think we could tend to agree with that, especially as we examine these, these truths. I want you to put something in Revelation chapter 6, uh, your Bible marker or whatever it may be. I want you to put something there because we're going to come right back to this. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24. If you are a note taker and you mark your Bible or you have a notebook or whatever it may be, you are going to want to stick very closely to Matthew chapter 24 in these remaining chapters in the weeks and months ahead. Because what we find in Matthew chapter 24 is closely depicted in what John describes in Revelation chapter 6. So in Matthew chapter 24, just for the sake of time, look at verse number 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world? There's the question that the disciples ask. This is Jesus' answer. And Jesus answered, verse 4, and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Just pause there. What we're going to see in verses 3 through 9 is is very closely resembled in Revelation chapter 6. Now let's look at this. Back to Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. Just keep those verses in your mind from Matthew chapter 24 and let's look at Revelation chapter 6, verse number 1. The Lamb opens the scroll. Remember, this is the Lamb that is seated upon the throne. The one that we've been seeing in a mighty way through chapters 4 and 5. John says, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, the first seal. Remember, the scroll is wrapped up as a scroll would be, and throughout that roll are repeated seven seals. So there's not seven seals across the outer seal. Throughout this scroll, there are seven seals, as we will see tonight. As Jesus, as the Lamb opens one of the seals, I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. Now, how many of you have been in the, I mean, I'm talking about the springtime thunderstorms where they come out of nowhere and a bolt clap of thunder scares you out of your skin? You've seen those ones that crash. You've heard those ones. You don't see thunder. You hear thunder. You, the, the crash of that thunder that kind of makes you duck and you, you, you want to get lower. This is what John is referring to. When the lamb cracks that seal, the beginning of judgment is taking place. This is the... And if we didn't read verses 16 and 17, we wouldn't come to know that this is the wrath of the Lamb. Look at verse 16, at the end of verse 16. From the, the wrath of the Lamb. This is the beginning of judgment. The, I can't be over emphatic about this. This is unlike anything we have ever seen. And the beast saying at the end of verse 1, come and see. Showing John 
these things that are yet to be. And John describes what he sees. What's the first thing that he sees? He sees, behold, a white horse. Now let's talk about this white horse. I'm going to try to keep it over here on the left-hand side because we have several horses that are referred to. How many? There are four. One is white. What's the next one? Red. Ooh, let's use color-coded. I didn't plan this. Let's use red. Oh, it's a little one. Okay. Red. What's the next one? Black. Black. I have black. And the last one? Pale. Pale. Now, when I was studying for this this afternoon, I was, I was really, you want me to use green for? Does somebody have green in their translation? What translation are you using? CSV. I don't know what that is, but that's, that's very interesting. Because the direct language that is used is green. And what, it's green. It's not pale. When we think of pale, we think of, um, you know, if my kid eats a bad M&M with a little bit of fuzz on it, they get a little pale. But we also refer to it as a little green around the gills, right? This word for pale horse is actually, it's actually green. And, and I hope to, to get there um, and explain to you why that's green in the direct, in the literal translation of that. What, tell me about this white horse. What do you see on this white horse? Um, what, is se- what is seated upon this white horse? There's a man. There's a rider. He. It's a masculine. There's a rider. And he's referred to in the masculine. So picture this. There's a rider on this horse, and he has what? A bow. He has a bow in his hand. This rider has a bow. What else? A crown. A crown. What else? What else don't you see? What is not there? What's he doing? What's that, John? He's, he's a, he has power. Um, he went forth to conquer. Um, notice that, and a crown was given unto him. I, I want to point something out to you about this crown. What do you picture when you read the word crown? Royalty. Royalty. I'm glad you said that. You're picturing metal? Gold, are you picturing that? Yeah. This word for crown is a woven wreath. It's not a metal crown. It's a victor's crown, like an Olympic Greek victor's crown. And this is where we begin to get a right translation. Many people will read this verse and say, this has to be Jesus. He's on a white horse. White is emblematic of purity or cleanliness or righteousness. What we need to deduce here is that this, this rider upon this horse that has a woven crown, he has a bow with no arrows. Now, if you see these pictures, people make some very intricate pictures of the, apocaly- the, the uh, four riders of the apocalypse, and there's usually one who's got a fully drawn bow with a big old arrow in it. There's no arrows mentioned here, and this is specific. Um, this conquering rider upon this white horse represents false peace. Some will translate this to mean the Antichrist. Some will actually say that he is he's the picture of man-centered peace. He is, he is the false Christ. Now, I believe that this is representative of uh, what man attempts to do in his own world. He tries to build himself 
peace that is man-centered. We see this today. Um, our time, if you haven't been paying attention, our time is quite ripe for a one-world government. Uh, this may come through climate accords or treaties of some kind. Um, I think that this is kind of interesting. I'm not making a dogmatic interpretation with this, but it is kind of interesting to me that this particular rider on this white horse is wearing a woven crown that is representative of something that would be uh, leafy. Um, could be health concerns, political overreach. It could be um, some sort of political treaties or decrees or diplomacy. Whatever it is, it's bloodless. It's man-centered peace. It's false peace. That's what's being described here in verse number two. It's a false man-centered peace. Um, and, and this is the temporal peace that man builds for himself. And it's very short-lived. Because how do we know it's very short-lived? Look at the second seal. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And he says in verse four, there went out another horse that was red. Tell me about this red horse. You need to know, first of all, what that word red translates like. That word is used elsewhere in the Bible. It means fiery crimson. In a, in a sense, it's like as if blood was on fire. Picture that. This flaming red crimson horse. Um, this isn't just like the red pony that you see in somebody's pasture. This is a fearful animal with, with flaming blood-colored sense around it and power was given to him that sat thereon. again we have another masculine reference to this rider power is given to him to do what to take peace man's peace is short-lived in verse number two this rider the seal of the second seal is is has the power given to him to take peace from what one nation to take peace from the earth. Power to take peace from the earth. I know it's getting choppy up there. I'm trying to squeeze four horses on the board. The power to take peace on the earth and that they should kill one another. These are the inhabitants of the earth that, are, that have been at each other. Now there's global warfare. This flaming torch-like horse has a masculine rider, power to take peace from the earth. Man's peace is short-lived. This is referring to a global warfare of some kind. And he's been given a sword, a great sword. In the Greek, literally mega, a mega sword. Not a broad sword like the sword that we see Jesus uh, that's referenced that Jesus has a broad sword coming out of his mouth, one of those big, long, Arabian curved swords. This is more of like a three to four foot long dagger shaped mega sword. It would be what an executioner would use. Um, for those of you that, it, you know, like me, you watch the, the old time Western movies where the cavalry comes charging in, bump -a -da -bump -a -da -bump -a -da -bump -a, and then they always have their, their sword, you know, that, that's the kind of sword that this rider is holding. And he's been given this sword while there's global warfare um, taking place. He represents global war, slaughter, 
I had you reference Matthew 24 because this particular passage here in Revelation 6 is coinciding with verses 7 and 8 of Matthew chapter 24. Wrapped up in the representation of this red horse and his rider is massacre, revolt, assassination. Turns pretty quickly from this false peace that we see in the first seal to this absolute (laughs) chaos this judgment that is just coming unloose in the world. Um, now, notice how in the beginning of this lesson I said that there are things that we see in our world around us that, that represent this. But what we're reading of in Revelation chapter 6, it doesn't even compare to what we are seeing in our time and, and day now. Uh, what we're, we've seen assassinations, we've seen um, revolt and massacre, but it's not even a blip on the radar screen compared to what is coming Um, whenever Jesus begins to pour out his wrath upon the world during the tribulation period. I need to make another note. Jesus said, in the world you would have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? So do we experience tribulation in this life? Absolutely, as we'll see when we get down to verse 11. So we can't say, look, look, now we're just completely removed from tribulation. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, we can expect tribulation, but we should be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. Let's look at the third horse and his rider. Verse 5, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, And he that sat on him had a pair of balances or scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. What does that mean? Well, when we read about darkness or a blackness like this horse is representing... It immediately should help us to think of emotional darkness, a, a literal depression, not strictly emotional, but following this global warfare that we've seen in the first two, uh, in the second seal, comes this rider who is carrying these balances, these tiny little scales on a big yoke. Uh, the word for the pair of balances, what this rider would have been picturing is this big yoke, this big bar, like the yoke that you would put upon an oxen with two tiny little scales hanging off. Um, So it's it's symbolic of a great weight that really doesn't amount to anything. So following this global slaughter that we've seen in the second seal, this rider and his horse represent the fallout from global war. Food supply is diminished. Rationing food lines are present. One day's work, as we see in verse 6, one day's work will supply one person's food rations. Now think about this. I would say that we have it quite good in this country. We can drive down to Mickey D's and pick up a $22 Happy Meal at any time we want. No, I'm, not, I'm exaggerating. I'm embellishing for the sake of this. No, he's like, no, you're not. When you text me on Sunday mornings, you're like, I'll take a bagel. I'm like, man, it's like $7.50. No, I'm kidding. But it's not, it's not cheap. But nonetheless, we have, 
We have overabundance of what we need. Just, just let me slow down and amplify what we see here. What the Lord is telling us in this tribulation period, during this time, the fallout from such global war is going to render the world desolate. I want you to think about, if you have young ones, I've got little kids, and I can't help but think about what it would be like if I couldn't supply their food on a daily basis. And my little girls come up to me and say, Daddy, but I'm hungry. And I say, I don't have anything to give you. I can't imagine being in that point. I can't imagine, this is what's being described here, that the fallout from this global warfare has fathers and mothers and children lining up in the streets for oats. What you would feed an animal. I don't know if you've ever, anybody that ever had cows or horses, if you ever stuck your hand in what you feed those things and you just decided to chomp on that. That's what's being described here in verse 6. That you have, what you do is you work all day long for one meal and that meal is what you should be feeding the animals. And because you have a family, instead of yourself eating that handful of meal, you give it to your children who now have to disperse it among themselves. It's what you would feed the horses. There's been absolute economic fallout. The the world is ravaged. This is the outpouring of God's wrath. The wrath of the Lamb upon the world. You say, well, why? For sin. For rebellion. For hatred against God. This is what is going to come and take place. Look at verse number 7. The fourth seal. The pale horse. This is a fearful picture. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice. I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed him. Followed with him. Or Hades followed him. The place of the dead followed him. It's a right translation. Death comes. Dying happens. The place of the dead immediately follows this rider. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Pause. You can assume that if you're working all day long and all you can get is a handful of oats, it's probably not too long before you or your family is going to die. But the lamb sends this death, this rider, this judgment. Now let's explore this pale. The, the direct literal translation of pale is not tan. It's, it's not light. It's green. That's, the, that's actually the Greek translation. That's the word. It's ashen. It's, it's uh, green. Literally, it's where we get our English word chlorophyll has anybody ever had biology in high school Uh, we had to dissect fetal pigs and we didn't have air conditioning in our high school and we would always dissect fetal pigs in like may when it was 85 degrees outside and the entire southern corridor of our school smelled like formaldehyde that chemical that preserves dead flesh the horse that john sees here is dead flesh 
It is an ashen green corpse of a horse. It's not pale. It's not tan. It's symbolic of decay. Fallout. Green. Smell. Stench. This green colored of an aged corpse. Its rider. What is the name of its rider? Let's, let's review here. The black horse. What was in its hands? What was in the rider's hands? There's a masculine rider, and there were scales in his hands. Balances. Scales, yes, balances. Scales, balances. In the pale horse, the green horse, his rider is death. And hell follows him. Followed by El, or Hades, the place of the dead, Gehenna. It's where they would throw the bodies in the trash heap. Martin Luther, I don't know if you know this or not, maybe you do. Um, many Puritans and Reformers survived the Black Plague. You've probably heard of the Black Plague. The Black Plague was um, taking place during the end of the 15th century and in the beginning portions of the 16th century and many universities were closing many government mandates were shutting businesses and everything down because people were literally hauling out dead bodies to the street um, it was a real it was a real plague but there were actually people dying by the millions and martin luther stayed in his uh, at his university and continued to teach but nonetheless the when the plague when the death came through it caused a lot of people to to face reality that today could be my last day and i think it's very important for us to see even in our time one of the greatest things that has come about in the last 2 years do you know what it is one of the most glorious things is the same thing that we we saw prior to the, the great Protestant Reformation. So people were confronted with the reality of their own mortality. People came face to face with, I could die. And it does a funny thing. If I'm going to die, where am I going to spend eternity? Why? Because you know that there's a God. There's, there's two things that every human being in the whole entire world, whether they deny it or not, there's two things that every man, woman, and child knows in this world. One, there is a God. Two, they will meet Him. Death, the, the, the reality of death, it should cause us to look to our Creator. But instead of doing that here, it further pushes people away. Look at verse number 9. Oh, by the way, just a quick point about this, this rider, death, and followed by hell. He's been given permission to kill how many? With sword, hunger, and death. Even the beasts of the earth. Even the beast of the earth. What, what has been given unto them over how many? A 25%, a fourth of the earth. So let me, let me just kind of uh, 
put this into perspective for you. He's been given permission over to take the lives of 25% of the earth. Does anybody know what percentage of people were killed as the result of World War II? Probably the highest death toll of any war that we've ever experienced in human history was the result of World War II. I'm not just talking about soldiers from nations across the board. I'm talking about soldiers, children, families, a total. Do you know what percentage of the population died as the result of World War II? You said six? It's 3%. 3% equates to 84 million people. I'm very hard-pressed to find out one family in, that's in existence that has not um, experienced something as the result of their family being affected by World War II. My family's been affected by World War II. I can guarantee you that everybody in this room has somebody in their family that was affected by World War II. That was only 3% of the Earth's population. Think of what that would be if it was 25% of the Earth's population. If you were to simply do the math, if 3% of the world's population in the 1940s is 84 million people, round up maybe to 90 million people, and essentially almost times that by seven, I mean, you have, this is a massive death toll when we consider a fourth of the population of the world. And this is all a result of God's judgment. Now look at verse number nine. When he had opened the fifth seal, because this is the, these are the verses that I've really been excited to preach on. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwells on the earth? These are the martyrs. This is the martyred remnant under the fifth seal. Verse 11, and white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. Make note of this. If you're in the habit of underlining things, I would like you to just at least put a little dot or something under little season until there, and underline this, fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed. So you have underlined little season, you have underlined fellow servants, and you should underline should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. This is a powerful text in verse number 11. The reason being is this is the souls of the martyr that John, the martyrs that John sees under the altar. They've been killed for their testimony of the word of God, which means they are faithful witnesses. They've been preaching the, the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been preaching the gospel and they've been killed for it. They've suffered for it. Now, in the beginning of this lesson, I said, this is a, uh, I would say, directly opposed to somebody that holds the preterist view or the partial preterist view, saying that all the events of Revelation have been fulfilled in 70 AD, because if that is the case then why are there yet martyrs that should be killed? 
Are you saying that, no, 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 everything was fulfilled in 70 AD, and now therefore this is the time of peace, and this is the time of the kingdom, and nobody's going to be persecuted anymore for preaching Christ? I don't think we could ever say that. Because there are still people today who are being martyred for preaching the Lord Jesus Christ and holding to the word of God. In fact, this is even becoming a growing thing. We're seeing that the persecution of Christians is quite openly affirmed in the United States and in Canada. There's no problem with arresting Christians for for doing what they've been allowed to do, which is preach the gospel, even in the streets. I even know believers that would say, no, 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 don't, don't go into the streets and preach the gospel. Why not? Isn't that what we've been called to do, is to preach the gospel? I mean, this is a, this is a serious thing. And Notice in verse 11, they've been given white robes. No, this does not mean that we should all go out and purchase white robes and every Sunday morning that we show up with these white, robe, white robes on to emulate the martyred saints that are in heaven. This is not what that's referring to. What the ripe, white robes that were given unto them is the righteousness of Christ that they've been clothed with by faith. It's the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season just until the plan of God unfolds. Here's the big question. What is the plan of God? I mean, you can't escape this. What is the plan of God? The plan of God is that, by the way, that word that I had you underlined, fellow servants, it's translated fellow slaves it's it's literally doulos it's fellow doulos it's fellow slaves and their brothers that they should be killed as they were this should be fulfilled why this is the plan of god that there would be christians who would stand for the gospel and that they would actually die for it on sunday morning i spoke about this william tyndale john huss Uh, Wycliffe, even though he died, they still dug his body back up and lit him on fire and then dumped his ashes into the river like that was going to do something. I mean, there are still believers that are being just, unless you really have a strong stomach, type in top five nations that persecute Christians and then click on images. If you think that this isn't taking place today, you're, you're wrong there, there, are, there are people that are being killed today for being Christian in the world around us. The sixth seal, verse 12. And I beheld when, they, when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became as blood. You see these people talking about the blood moon and all this stuff recently and everybody's howling at the moon for Halloween and all this goofy stuff. These, these images that are in Revelation chapter 6 make everything that is celebrated in this world like Halloween and the blood moon and all this goofy stuff, it makes it look like a kindergarten lunch outing. This is, this is the real, this is apocalyptic The moon became as blood and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as the fig tree casts her untimely figs. When she is shaken of a mighty wind and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. 
We have earthquakes today, but not every mountain is moved. Yes, there are earthquakes today, but what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 6 is cataclysmic, natural upheaval of both the celestial and the terrestrial. This is something like we've never seen before. The failure of the sun, the moon turning to blood, stars raining out of heaven like, like rain. A, a complete breakdown of physics. Whereas mountains are removed from their moorings and relocated. And this is what really is quite extraordinary. If I were to ask you the question at this point, after we've just surveyed verses 1 through 14, everyone that's alive at that moment, what should they be doing? What would you say that if you saw the fake human piece come crashing down, you should be in church, buddy. You see... The false peace of humanity come crashing down. You see global war, economic depression, and fallout from that global war. Death as the result of that global war. What would you think should be taking place? I'll give you a hint. It begins with an R. What is it? Repentance. You would think at this point... They know who's doing this. Only God has the power to display such outpouring of wrath. I'm sure they want to blame it on climate change. <laughs> you know, that's... Well, here, here's the silly thing. That's exactly striking the nail on the head as to what I'm getting. And not necessarily climate change, but what aren't they doing? You, you think that this should bring about global repentance that they should be just crying out to Jesus to have mercy upon us. We were wrong. We worship the lamb, but no. They say, let's hide. Let's hide. Look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men and the rich men and the chief captains, we're talking all the global leaders, all the world leaders that are still alive at that time and the mighty men, the greatest soldiers, Every bondman, every free man, they hid themselves. They don't want the lamb. They don't want salvation. They hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, not to Jesus Christ, not to the sovereign king, they say to the mountains, there's kind of an interesting point, almost like what Kim was saying. They say, no, 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 we're going to worship the creation still. They say, mountains fall on us. We would rather be smothered under mountainous piles of rubble than come to the king and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They want to hide from it. They don't want to come to salvation. They don't want to have grace. They don't want mercy. They don't want repentance. They don't want forgiveness. They say, no, 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 we'll hide from this. How long-suffering is our God that in your life he worked repentance, gave you faith, showed you mercy, granted mercy, granted grace, granted you the new birth that you could seize things like this and say, what do you say after you hear such things? You say, praise be to God. 
You have rescued me from such things. For the great day, verse 17, of his wrath is come. There it is. This is the coming tribulation. His wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? There's no repentance here. There's there's absolutely zero repentance. They don't want repentance. They don't want the lamb. In fact, they hate him. I want to give you some points of application as we see this. And many, you've probably been deducing points of application as we've read through these things as we've gone along. But let me give you some things that I've seen as the result of this chapter. And I hope you don't misconstrue my words here, but number one, this should cause great fear. And and I don't say, whereas you're like these ones who fear without faith, I'm saying as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, there should be reverence to this lamb, that he has rescued you from such things. There should be a healthy fear of God. And coupled with this, still on the same point of application, with that great fear, it should bring intense evangelism. It should bring intense evangelism. You don't have to turn here, but I want to read you a passage in 2 Corinthians. And we're going to get here in a couple years, probably. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse number 17, Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, as a believer, what have I been called to do? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means you have been called, not just the pastor, not just the leaders in the church, you have been called to share the gospel with the lost. Because as you read things like this in Revelation chapter 6, it should cause great fear that produces passionate evangelism. Concern for the lost. Number two, some will look at this and say, that's not fair. Some will read Revelation chapter 6 and they will say, that's not fair, that's not my God. If that is you, which I don't want you to think I'm pointing the finger at anybody in this room, I don't want you to say that, but I am saying if, you're, if that question is in your mind, my word for you is to flee to the Lamb. Don't be like these ones in verses 12 through 14 that say, put the mountains on me. That's not fair. Others will, here's number three. Others will look at this with repentance, reverence, and boldness. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we're not going to have to see this. We're not going to have to take part of this directly. As in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, he said, I will keep you from these things. Number four. This affects, and this is probably the most, um, most direct point of application. Revelation chapter 6 should affect how we look at the world around us. When you read this chapter, it should affect how you look at the world around you. Here's how. The only hope that anyone has is not in politics, 
It's not in money. It's not in wealth. It's not in possessions. It's not in even where you live. The only hope is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the only hope that this world has. I think also, um, if you want to make another point of this, this is still under the fourth point of application, letter B. Things aren't getting better. Things are clearly getting progressively worse. I mean, can, how can you read this and say, no, 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 things are improving. No, I, I think quite clearly as we enter into these portions of revelations, uh, revelation, excuse me, never add the S to revelation. Things are getting progressively worse and rightly they should. This is the result of sin and wickedness in the man and we, in mankind and we should be looking to Christ. And finally, Revelation chapter 6 is, is the beginning of Christ pouring out his righteous wrath and judgment upon the world. Everything that we see in our lives is just small blips on the screen compared to what is coming ahead. And again, this should drive you to reach the lost with the gospel. In the very least, be praying for your missionaries. It was such a joy to talk to Seth today. 